Hey guys, I want to remind you to check out CF Capital. CF Capital is the premier boutique real estate investment firm in the Midwest and Southeast region of the United States. We are a national real estate investment firm with a purpose. We provide property investment and asset management solutions to help passive investors maximize returns on high value multifamily communities. But our investments go far beyond acquisitions. We invest in people. We are in the business of elevating communities and raising the bar for everyone within our ecosystem. CF Capital is a real estate investment firm focused on the acquisition and operation of multifamily assets. We confidently deliver tax advantage, stable cash flow, and capital appreciation with a margin of safety. By investing alongside our team, investors can preserve and grow their wealth without having to deal with tenants, termites, or toilets. Investors come and stay for the outsized returns we create in our deals while appreciating the ancillary opportunity to make a bigger impact that only CF Capital can provide. If you're an investor and want to invest with us, here's how. Learn more about CF Capital at cfcapllc.com or by simply clicking the link in the show notes of this episode. We will see you on the inside of this powerful community. So let's elevate communities together. Growth, respect, integrity, tenacity, and transparency. I and mean, that's kind of the the mnemonic is grit because it's kind of just, it, it kind of defines what it means to be a Spartan. Like we will fight on to the Spartan objective, like regardless of what happens, like, right? You got to work all weekend, you work all weekend. You got to not go to bed, don't go to bed. You got to miss dinner. Trust me, you don't need to eat that much. Um, everybody could use like losing some LBs and, and, and really that's what it's about. It's about kind of freedom and responsibility inside of our values and we have a creed that kind of defines what it means to be a Spartan. Welcome to Elevate, the masterclass where we dissect the elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chester. I'm so thankful to have you here. And I'm blessed and grateful to be sitting with the great Scott Lewis today. You are going to learn about the best of the best approach to building a sustainable and a fast growing real estate investment company. You're also going to learn about how the greatest leaders attract other great leaders to implement success that has left clue that has been clues left all over the place that you can implement into your business. And if you want to learn about some of the fastest growing organizations and how they're doing that, you really want to listen closely to today's podcast. Elevate podcast is all about mindset, mind expansion, and personal development for high performing real estate investors. I'm your host, Tyler Chesser, and I'm a professional real estate investor and entrepreneur. It is my job to decode the stories, habits, and multifaceted expertise of world-class investors and other experts to help you elevate your performance and lifestyle. Are you ready to take it to another level? It is time. We are absolutely raising the bar today. I'm telling you that you're going to get so much value from this conversation. I'm so excited for you to dive into this because we're talking about somebody in Scott Lewis who is bringing the best of the best knowledge from some of the world's largest organizations and applying it to his real estate organization that started small, that is growing rapidly, that is getting large, and it's gotten very, very large in many aspects. And he's not slowing down anytime soon. So you definitely want to watch what's going on with their organization. But you want to listen closely because we've got some tremendous gold in today's uh, conversation. So I just want to thank you for this. But I also want to ask you, um, to pay, pay it forward and share this episode with one person. All you have to do is grab that share 
uh, link in the podcast app and just share it with one person. If you've done that in the past, I want to thank you so much for doing that. And I want to ask you to do that one more time. The only way that we can grow is if we earn your introduction. So hopefully we've done that. And I'm asking you from the bottom of my heart to share this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you will not miss our continued podcast here as we move forward. So I'm super excited. If it's your first time listening to Elevate, just wait. I mean, just buckle up because today is going to be a tremendous day. But I want to thank you for taking time out of your your valuable day to listen to this podcast. Now, while we dive in, I want to introduce you to Scott Lewis, who is the co-founder and CEO of Spartan Investment Group. As a CEO, Scott is responsible for the strategic direction of the company and ensuring it aligns with Spartan Investment Group's mission to improve lives through real estate. Prior to Spartan, Scott held positions as a regional sales manager for a biotech firm, various positions in strategic and project management for the federal government culminating at the GS-15 level and was on active duty in the U.S. Army as an infantry officer. So I want to thank him for his service to our great country and continuing to protect our freedoms. But I also want to thank him so much for bringing tremendous value in today's uh, today's conversation. So buckle up and enjoy this phenomenal conversation with Scott Lewis. Scott Lewis, welcome to Elevate. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Tyler. Thank you for having me. No, it's my pleasure. I'm super excited about our conversation. I really appreciate you making time uh, because obviously you have a, a demanding schedule. You've got a growing team, a growing organization that's been recognized in you know twice in you know uh, 500 company on the Inc list Forbes. So I just want to thank you so much for being a part of this conversation today. While we get you introduced to Elevate Nation, why don't you talk a little bit about your upbringing and your backstory so we can connect you with the listeners? Yeah, I think mine's a, a little bit different than your traditional real estate private equity dude. Um, I grew up kind of, you know, lower middle class. I, I wasn't poor, but we weren't rich by any means. And, you know, neither neither my parents went to to college or whatever. Um, my dad had a white collar sales job, but, uh, you know, my mom was a waitress for most of the time and went to a relatively generic school, Michigan State University, like good school, but just good in-state school. Um, when I got out of there, uh, went and worked for a biotech company. Uh, selling enzymes. And that's as thrilling as it sounds. <laughs> um, it actually, it actually, you know, I say that in jest, it actually was a pretty good gig because one at 23 years old, I had 14 States to cover and I was 400 miles away from my boss as a regional sales manager. And it was a pretty dynamic job because enzymes are used in a lot of different stuff. So, you know, if I had four sales calls that day as an outside rep, I might go to a pharmaceutical company, uh, a bakery, a winery, and a nutraceutical company. So I really got to see a lot of different industries. And it was a small company. Um, so we could touch on that a little bit about my opinion on small versus big. But, you know, they were a pretty small company and they didn't have a lot of assets inside the company. So it was just one of those things. If I wanted something, I kind of had to do it. So not in addition to learning sales, I had to figure out like some design for, for business cards and presentations and, and, and had a lot of latitude at a small company versus very boxed in at a big company. Um, but I'm um, kind of an integrity guy and something happened at the, the top levels of leadership there that I didn't agree with. Uh, so I decided to quit and join the army. So I went active duty for four years and did that, came out. I uh, went to work for the federal government uh, in DC, 
learned a lot of skills there and strategic planning, risk management, and kind of some of the, the, the business management skills. But I am not a government employee. It's not <laughs> something that, uh, that I appreciate. There's plenty of hardworking government employees out there. There's also plenty of what is perceived as a government employee out there as well. Um, and it just wasn't really my environment. So I decided to pull the ripcord and, and I started Spartan while um, I was still a federal employee and kind of did the nights and weekends thing. And and then at one point, um, you know, we have a saying, hungry bellies make bad decisions. So at one point we had sold a couple of our residential deals that we did early on, put a bunch of cash in the bank and it, no longer a hungry belly. So just pulled the ripcord and then been with Spartan for, or been full-time at Spartan ever since. And then, then kind of the rest is history from there. So that's kind of my background. Um, I have degrees in chemistry and marketing. I have a master's in, uh, master's of science and management, and I've got project management certificates from Georgetown. So a little bit non-traditional for your, your real estate, private equity CEO, right? So no wall street experience, no financial background. Um, so it's just, slightly different than what you would normally see. And thank you for sharing all of that because, you know, it's a very unique path, but I think it helps the listeners, you know, make sense about connecting their own dots because maybe they're in a non-traditional background and maybe they're looking to do something they haven't seen a reference point, but you're showing what has been possible for you based on some of these decisions that you made now as you continue to grow. And I do want to talk about that small versus big thought process. But before we do that, I mean, as you were working for the federal government, you mentioned, I'm not a government employee. And all I can say is say no more. I already know really what you're talking about there. And I think many of the listeners do as well in terms of the bureaucracy. I can only imagine living that life. It could be very, very challenging, especially for folks like yourself who kind of have that entrepreneurial type of mindset, that creative endeavors where you're looking to grow, you're looking to push, you're looking to expand. You know, talk to me about the move to start this kind of side hustle or this, you know, nights and weekends Spartan investment group. I mean, what was the thought process behind going into that business? And now obviously you've built it into a big organization, but talk to me about the move initially to create the company. You know, I'm not an entrepreneur uh, kind of by by spirit. Of course I am, right? Because I started a business. So by definition, yes. But I, I don't want to start millions of companies. I don't, I'm not an Elon Musk. I don't like, like, that's just not my thing. Um, I was fine with kind of climbing the ladder. And I, I got very senior in the government. I was a GS-15 when I pulled the ripcord. And that's the very top level before you get into the senior executive service. And I got there at 32 years old. So I was, I was relatively successful um, at being a federal employee. It just it wasn't very fulfilling. And, and, and I saw a bunch of other stuff in the private sector too, at the, at the first company I worked for that was also stupid and not fulfilling. And I don't like stupid shit. It's also why I got <laughs> active duty. Um, love the military. I'm still an active reservist 16 years in. Saw a lot of stupid shit on active duty. And I was just like, I don't want to do any of this. And the only way I can guarantee that I don't have to do a bunch of stupid stuff is to start my own company. And I, you know, I, I didn't have this grand idea, uh, this, this great product or anything. What, what I, what I had a, a vision for was a, a place where people could come and grow personally and professionally. Cause I do appreciate that from the military. They really take the whole self into that. And I, and I, and I'm not out to change the world. Um, I actually have a very, very narrow view of, of what I want to improve, and it's within my locus of control. 
So that's why, you know, when you look at the, va- the mission, it's improve for Spartan, it's improve, uh, improving lives through our values. And, you know, we always talk to our team about like little increment improvements and don't, don't go out and try to change the world. Um, there's been some very, very great evils in history from people that have been thinking that they were changing the world. Right. Um, so it's, that's not really us. We, we want to help the people that we are around and that's really the genesis of it. Um, not driven by money. It, it is a byproduct of setting up a really solid organization. Of course, that's a, that, that's a thing that if you, if you build a really good company, then it's it's very hard to not have money. So that that's a byproduct. But my first and foremost is to to really adhere to our mission and vision. Um, and, and that's why I started it. Now, if you talk to Ben and you talk to Ryan, they're a little bit more entrepreneurial than I am um, in their in their previous endeavors prior to getting here. I love that. So in terms of, you know, getting into this type of business, right, in real estate investments, what background did you have in real estate at the time? Or did you just dive right in to say, look, I've heard great things about real estate. Now let's build a business in that way and really, you know, think about the hyper focus like you just described, or what was the thought process behind particularly choosing this industry? So when I was in high school and college, I had um, built homes as a, as a framer and residential kind of for my money. That's what I did. Um, summer jobs and, and, and whatever um, built homes. So I, I really enjoyed the ideology of going from a hole in the ground to, you know, uh, I was in Michigan. So it's like 600 square, 1600 square feet, 20, 2,500 square feet home in six days, this thing being roughed in. And, and now there's a home there. So I really kind of dug that and my personal home in DC, I'd gone through the permitting process to do a full renovation there and, and was actually pretty good at navigating the, just the, the now shut down DCRA because of corruption, <laughs> like navigating um, to get my bill permits. So that was just kind of the natural thing, like, hey, let's do something in real estate. And our initial business plan was based on residential. We realized that that really wasn't the the best place for us, so we pivoted away from that into the now commercial and, and more specifically self storage. But that's probably why my my tie back to my my high school and college years of being a framer. Thank you for that. And one of the things that you mentioned, you know, based on your experience, you know, coming up as a professional prior to getting into the military, you worked for a small company, and this modeled sort of your frame of the world to say small versus big, there's a big difference and there's a big benefit perhaps. And, and I'm reading between the lines, looking at the organization that you've built and are continuing to build. It seems like you have a, a strong preference for big. So talk to me about that. Yeah. So there's, there's a way for a big organization to be small. If you like at, at a certain point, it gets much, much harder. If you're into the thousands of employees, it's much harder in the hundreds, which is where we are. And, and with a one in the front of that hundreds, it's a lot easier to do that. You know, kind of going back to my to my background, I, I did not have a background in real estate, and I, I I knew that. And I think you know a key point for the listeners, and I'll tie this all together, is really understanding what you're good at and what you're not, uh, and, and being very very true to yourself. Um, anybody that thinks that they don't have weaknesses is just lying to themselves. All of us are dumpster fires in something, right? Um, the one thing I'm not is I built a skill sets for business management, not necessarily like real estate, but 
given the leadership, given the sales and marketing, given the degrees, given the, the skill sets I learned in the federal government, it doesn't matter what business I step into. I'm more of a generalist than a specialist. So when we think about kind of all of that and, and tying it back to a smaller company, um, I think you get a more uh, a wider range of exposure to different things inside of a smaller company than you would inside of a larger company. Now you could make the argument that my second and third places that I was employed were were fairly large organizations. If you look at the United States military and the U.S. federal government, right? Big. Couple different things. The, the couple nuances there, right? If you are very, very motivated and you want to lean into things, for the most part, those two organizations are very supportive of, of really generating range as far as a skill set goes. So as on the and and when I joined the military, I specifically did it because I, I had a hypothesis, which is proving to be correct, if you just read the news, that the, the, the world is lacking in true leaders that are willing to stand for something, even if it's not the mainstream, right? Like we're, we're, we're not, we're, we're really kind of getting off where, you know, if you look at the, the greatest generation in the sixties and seventies and, and yeah, they had their issues, but they had people that were really willing to lead and, and, and be connected to their teams. That's why I, that was one of the reasons, in addition to serving my country and having some college loans that I needed to be paid off, why I joined the military. Because I specifically joined, not only did I join the army, but I joined the infantry as an officer and, and chose a bunch of hard stuff, some of which I was good at and some of which I wasn't, um, to, to kind of go through that uh, because I wanted that leadership, that planning, that, that tactical, like on the ground experience that the army infantry would provide me. And when I got off of there, I went to the federal government. So yes, I was in very big organizations, Homeland Security, NIH. Uh, National Institutes of Health, and then finally VA. But what I was able to do is, is leaning in and being able and being willing to work a lot. I was able to take a lot of different trainings and strategic planning and everything else like that. So I got exposure to a lot of stuff because I volunteered for for stuff to to be able to do. And the, the the federal government for for all the, the all the bad things that people talk about, there's a lot of opportunity there to really kind of broaden your skill set and do a lot of things if you want to lean into it. Feels like you almost had this this understanding that you knew what you were getting from those experiences. You knew what the purpose of those experiences were. Maybe it was conscious, maybe it was subconscious, but you were looking to, you know, draft through these big organizations to learn how to be a better manager, to be a better leader, to really hyper-focus on a mission that, you know, that you can sort of wrap your arms around rather than change the world, so to speak. Is that fair to say? Yeah, it is. I, I don't do a damn thing that I haven't thought through and planned out. Um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I, I've got a, a counselor that I see all the time because I think everybody should have one. And it was interesting. My wife and I had sit down and talking with her. And we were looking at risk aversion. And it was it, I had this I had this perception of myself. And this is why counseling is so important is I had this perception of counseling, coaching, whatever the hell you want to call it. Um, I had this perception of my, myself that I was a risky person. And my wife was like, no, you're not. And I'm like, well, what are you talking about? I jumped out of airplanes. I went to war. I mountain bike. I ski out of helicopters. Like, what are you talking about? Like, hmm. But it was really, it was interesting because the counselor was like, well, do you do anything that you aren't, that you don't have a plan and you aren't really well trained for? I'm like, no, that's stupid. Who would do that? And she's like, 
a lot of people. <laughs> and I, it was really kind of a, a wake up call for me to be like, oh, wow, actually, man, now that you say it that way, I kind of take my risky self and I, everything I do for the most part has a plan. So when I went into active duty in the military, I went in for a specific reason. I wanted to get leadership skills and planning and operations. I knew I would need those things. When I went to the federal government, I, I, I looked kind of across the board as to what I could do to really broaden my range for general management. I didn't know that I was going towards starting a company, but I knew I was going towards leading a group of individuals. And to do that at, a, at an executive level, you need range. So you know that's what I did for the first, call it 12 years. I mean, I still do it today, but for the first 12 years of my work experience from the time that I was call it 22. So I was about 34 when we started Spartan, I was building range by going through and being very deliberate in what I did for these different experiences to really get all of these other skills that when I go talk to other CEOs, they just look at me like I'm crazy because I have all, I have this range. Now I don't have the depth of, of knowledge that they might have in underwriting or, or real estate, like specifically, but my range is pretty far. So in terms of that plan, now thinking about Spartan Investment Group, now what it is today versus what you initially set out to do, how does it how does it compare? Is it pretty similar to the plan or is it expanded beyond that? I mean, tell me a little bit about how today compares with the initial plan with Spartan Investment Group. Yeah, when you look when you look at any organization, um, if you look at if you combine kind of a civilian ideology with some army doctrine, there's three levels to every organization. There's a strategic and operational and tactical. Where a lot of civilian organizations miss is they don't differentiate that operational. You hear all the time people talking about strategy and tactics. Well, there's a disconnect there. There's an operational level that needs to be there in order to connect the strategy to the tactics, which is basically that operational level is your mid-management level to align resources to vision. That's what that level is really about. And when you miss that, when you don't talk about that and you don't understand that, there, there can be a disconnect between the pie in the sky strategy, your, your so-called 30,000, 50,000, whatever thousand foot view, and the day-to-day -day like day-to-day -day tactics that are executed to achieve whatever you're trying to achieve. So when you think about the strategic view of Spartan when it first started, and you look at our mission, vision, and values, has it has it shifted? Yes, of course. As as the country as the company has matured from a startup to a mid market business, when you look at the tactics, they've completely shifted, right? Because like, we were we were focused on residential at first, and now we want no part of residential. That's part of any company's kind of maturation as it goes through that that quintessential growth S curve as it's moving through that. And it's sunsetting products or ideas that are kind of at the top of that curve or a new piece of information has come in that, that causes a paradigm shift in thinking that you have to revisit potentially the operations and the and the tactics. We've also revi revisited the overall strategy, but the foundation, the culture of the business hasn't changed that much, even if even as we've pivoted. Um, at this, even at the strategic level, away from residential to commercial asset classes. It's a very helpful framework for folks to think through because, you know, at the end of the day, 
anything that you're doing in the business or anything that's happening in your business has to relate to the overall mission. And if it's not, then you're out of alignment and you're wasting your time. Perhaps you're making a mistake. And so I, I appreciate you sharing that strategic, operational and tactical, the way that those things combine so that you can be moving in the direction that you want to move. Now, when I think about the operational aspect of things, you know, as I was preparing for our conversation today, what I learned about your organization is that you are operationally institutional in your standards. And that's one of the things that, you know, you guys are, are, are very, I think, proud of is what I can tell. So could you talk to me a little bit about what that looks like and, and how that differs from, you know, a non-institutional approach? Yeah, I think it, it's really going back to building systems and processes first. You know, it's interesting. We've, we, we started the business, um, I don't know, the, the incorporation documents say 2014, um, but we did our first, we sold our first residential flip in 2015. So call it, I don't know what, eight years. When you, when you think about kind of where we, where we've started, we've done kind of the hard road. We've built four business, four operating businesses right now. We have the investment company, which is Spartan, but underneath that, there's free up storage, which is a property management company that, that, that manages all of our, our self-storage properties. There's Spartan Capital Advisors, which is a, a capital markets advisory firm that, that goes out. It's very small. It's just, it's just standing up right now to help people get debt. And then we have Spartan Construction Management, which is our construction company that's a fully licensed GC inside that. So we, we, we've basically built four different companies in, in the span of eight years under the same umbrella. And we've done that through systems and processes. We get told all the time, especially from folks coming in with bigger companies that for a company our size, we have more systems and processes in place, especially when it comes to decision-making, when it comes to problem identification, when it comes to onboarding and everything else. Like everything, not, I, I would say probably 90% of everything we do has a process behind it that's been documented. A lot of folks have processes, but it's not written down. Um, and and that's that's if you if you don't write it down, then you're really at a risk because that means it's in somebody's brain. And if that brain goes away for whatever reason, you're metaphorical hit by a bus. And that happens. We had a we had a plans reviewer hit by a bus on one of our projects, and it delayed it forever. Right? Wow. Like, legitimately hit by a bus. So when you think about that, that's there's some risk there. But I think that's kind of where we we come at that. Um, and we don't always get it right. Nobody does. But we we at least have the process to fall back on when it's there. So talk to me about best practices around application of systems and processes. You know, thinking about 90% of the processes or more in your business are documented. You know, one of the things that I wonder about for an organization your size that continues to grow is best practices for application. Is it just a part of the culture? It's just a part of the expectation. You follow the process or is there anything else that you would add to that? It's discipline, right? It's, it's the, the willingness to cause pain, I'll say, uh, in team members by forcing them to follow the process because generally people want to subvert the process because generally processes are developed not necessarily in a bureaucratic way, but in, in they are developed to make sure that each step is hit so that you reduce risk. That's why people have processes. You can reduce risk and increase speed if you have something that's documented inside of a process, right? There's an entire, there's an entire discipline of Lean Six Sigma, which looks at building processes 
to eliminate waste and increase quality, the lean versus the Six Sigma side of that. That's all what that is about. If you go back to the 80s, I think it was the 80s with the total quality management and, and some of the Kaizen ideology that Toyota developed to really in, improve their, their processes and their quality and their manufacturing side of the house. It's painful, especially because as soon every time you go through a growth spurt, somebody's going to jack up your process. <laughs> that's just it. And you got to bring it back on. You got to constantly be communicating it. But I think that's where the, the discipline that it takes to be like, no, you're going to follow this process. I don't care if you like work through the weekend. I just really don't. And I don't care if like you can sleep when you're dead. That kind of comes from the army mentality, right? Like if you go to bed at midnight tomorrow because you got to like do the process to make sure that we mitigate risk. Oh, well, man, sorry. Like you can go a couple of days without sleep. Trust me, I did it. So that's kind of just the ideologies. I have not an ounce of, of hesitation in causing like discomfort, pain in the team to actually adhere and mitigate those risks and get the job done. In terms of, you know, as you continue to grow, you know, from my perspective, those systems have got to continue to evolve as well. So what is the overall philosophy and process or thought process behind the evolution of systems and, and processes? Yeah, so they're all going to evolve, right? Because what you can do as a small team of five founders or whatever is not what you can do at 126 or whatever we are right now. So it, it shifts from more tactical application of your processes into an operational mindset that you have to have a processes for everything. And especially if you're building a team with where you have younger, younger team members, you got to build that capacity and that you got to build that capacity and that safety to make mistakes because they're going to, and to teach people that a process that you write down on a napkin with a crayon is better than something that you don't do at all. Many, many people get stuck in trying to develop the perfect process and they don't understand how to build a process. So if you don't have anybody on the team that has a basic awareness of, of process building and process mapping, or, you know, some, some basic lean six Sigma stuff, that can really hinder you because the ideology to be able to build that process and improve it, it th there's a way to do that. And when you do it by doctrine, um, by whatever method you use, you can get the, the 60, 70% solution on time versus just standing there staring at the wall, hoping the hundred percent solution shows up. And, you know, in the military, a lot of times um, the 80% solution on time is better than the hundred percent solution late when we were in combat. It was a 60% solution on time and roll out of the damn gate and go help your buddies versus like sitting there trying to come up with this great plan and all your buddies are dead. So that, that we've brought that ideology into Spartan. There, there are times when we're not okay with the, the 80%, but a lot of times we are okay with the 80% um, because it'll get you mostly there. And if, if we have to make a quick decision there, like, as I said, there are times where it's like, no, 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 no. We need to make sure that we were really buttoned up and that we need to get to the hundred percent. So put in the extra time. But it's about having them the, the the infrastructure to be able to know when that's okay. And the last thing I'll say is it's got to be muscle memory. So once a quarter, we stand down the entire company. We just did it last week and do process improvement days. So I kick that off um, with a one-hour training on, hey, this is what process improvement is. Um, this here are a bunch of tools that we have developed to go in there. And remember, the objective of today is you guys you guys look at a process and whatever it is it does not matter success 
is that that process is better at five o'clock today than it was at 8 a.m. Can even be 1% better, right? No matter what it is, it's, it's completely irrelevant, right? Like 1%, the, the whole 1% every day, you do 1% every day. It's a lot at the end of the year, right? Elevate Nation, you know you can't manage what you don't measure. So when it comes to marketing and sales, how can you be sure your decisions are the right ones? I've got the answer for you, Sharp Wilkinson. Sharp Wilkinson is a unique agency that specializes in developing data-driven marketing and sales strategies for clients. I've been working with Sharp Wilkinson for a while now, and I can personally attest to the way that they immerse themselves in my organization and maintain a hyper-responsive orientation. Best of all, they use data to inform their strategies and drive real tangible growth. And every company needs continuing growth, right? If you think your organization could benefit from data-driven marketing and sales, growth starts at Sharp Wilkinson. Visit sharpwilkinson.com to take the first step on your journey. Tell them Tyler sent you. Absolutely. So your role as a CEO is to really set the vision to say, look, you know, on a, at minimum, we're, we've built in a part of the process or a part of our fabric and the culture of the company that we're always improving our operations. We're always improving our systems, our processes. And you're setting the sort of the big vision to say, look, today we here's how to improve a process. Now within your function, let's look at those processes and let's move forward. Is that correct? As a CEO, you got you have a relatively easy job. And most people go, like, what? You got to do three things. If you do three things really well, you'd probably be successful. You need to craft and articulate the vision. Don't run out of money. <laughs> and build leaders. So if you do those three things, now, of course, doing those three things is where the complication gets in because like setting the vision and then articulating the vision to where, like we would say, like the dumbest Joe at the bot, at the base level of your organization can communicate that vision. That is difficult, right? Um, not running out of money. Again, the, the task of that, if you're bootstrapping a business can be difficult. And building leaders, if I have an unfair advantage because I went through, I, I don't know, I've, I'm I'm been in the military for 16 years as an officer, and I've I've probably spent more time as of any of my compadres, like in in any of the branches of the military, we have spent more time in leadership development in in a 20 year career than a normal civilian will get in four careers for the most part. Um, and so so having that understanding of the leadership side of the house and i've done some things inside of of the military to really enforce that with going and being an officer candidate school platoon trainer where, where my job was to assess officer candidates to determine whether they had the competencies and attributes necessary to be an army leader and then even now as a as a instructor in the command and general staff college teaching the leadership block uh, you know, that's my whole one weekend a month, two weeks a year thing. I've I've specifically set myself up to continuously build my leadership development chops by using my my part time job in the military to be able to get additional training on that and learn new concepts as they're coming out through the schoolhouses, we would say. Um, and then having to teach those to, to other officers, I get to bring a lot of that material back here into Spartan. Let's get tactical on that because, you know, as I was getting prepared for the conversation, by the way, I'm really enjoying this and this is, this is fantastic. So I want to thank you again. 
you know, when I start to look at what you guys are doing, you've described um, the team in terms of this aspect, internal intelligence team providing real insights into market conditions, giving them constant situational awareness, which I can see comes from that that military background. But I want to talk about some of the, you know, the thought process and the approach in terms of building leaders when it comes to attracting, retaining, developing you know, in securing them and growing them into a higher capacity type of, um, you know, individual and a set of individuals who can lead their own integration because you've got a vertically integrated organization that has multiple different businesses within it. So talk to me a little bit about the concepts that are most important to, you know, building those leaders first, attracting them, retaining them and developing them. Yeah. So you get, you, you got to start with good stock, right? So when you think about any leadership development pro like program, and much of what I'm going to talk about is adapted from ADP 6-22. So for my other Army listeners out there, they will know that that's kind of the Army's leadership doctrinal series in, in which I pull a lot of this stuff from because it's it's really good. And, and the, the, the Navy guys and the Marine guys and the Air Force guys, they'll have some of their own like doctrinal things that I pull from. But one of the key things that the Army doctrine sets out is it differentiates between competencies and attributes. So when you think of, of, of competencies, that, that's knowledge and skills. Attributes are things like character, presence. It's, it's kind of who you are as a person. Um, I am more old school in my thought that if you don't have the right attributes, if you're not a person of a character, you don't have high integrity, it's going to be very hard to develop that. I, I don't know that I've ever met somebody that I've perceived as low integrity and like they went away to a training course and they suddenly came back with high integrity. I, I don't know that I believe that if you don't have those things that that you can get them, there's going to be people that will argue that statement and good on them. They're, both viewpoints are probably right. So for us, when we're, when they're going through the onboarding process, we're really looking at competent or attributes of coming through. We hire for fit first and then competencies for later. Like that's the secondary thing because you can get somebody that's super confident but is, is lacking the attributes that are necessary to perform at Spartan as a leader and, and you're going to misfire, period. Um, versus if you get the right attributes and they, they fit and they're good culture fit, you can build a lot of those competencies. And, and if people are willing to work hard, you can build them relatively fast. Um, so when you think about that, that's where you start. You have to start with like, you, you got to start with that block that Michelangelo started but it's got to be the right material for what you're trying to achieve and, and what makes sense at Spartan may not make, make sense other places. So that base material is going to be different based on your values. So you have to hire for your values because if you don't, you're going to be starting with clay where he needed granite, right? So once you get that, then you got to like bring people in. You got to start working on them, right? Because everybody's going to come in and they're, they're either young and they don't have those skills or they're older and maybe they have some bad habits, maybe they have some good habits. So inside Spartan, for, for I'm trying to build it for all layers, but right now we have it for two different layers. We have an emerging leaders uh, layer and we have an operational leaders layer. There are one year development programs that, that folks start and it takes about five to 10 hours a month of reading, writings, uh, watching different YouTube videos, different projects inside the organization, teamwork inside the, inside the cohorts. We start them once a year in January and there's cohorts that go that run 12 months. Um, and you know, it's, it's interesting. I read a statistic that the average American reads uh, three books per year. The average CEO reads 12. The most junior Spartan leaders read 16 books a year. 
And these are, these are the most junior uh, Spartans that we have. The, as it goes up, it ratchets up. Um, so when you th think about that, that's how, that's how you do it. You tie everything back to your values, but you have to be very deliberate about it. And again, when people are, they're going to complain, I don't want to write this paper or whatever. I don't care. Then I will eject you from the leadership program and you will not get promoted. If you don't finish these, these, you will not get promoted into leadership. We have other tracks for individual contributors that don't want to be leaders, but you will not be promoted in the leadership kind of in a leadership step up. If you don't finish these programs, if you don't like it, appreciate your opinion. Sayonara. <laughs> I love it. And I love the thought of building in this concept of personal professional development within the fabric and the culture of the organization. Thinking about this, these one year development programs, I'm, I'm now I'm just curious, what types of books are included? What types of videos? I mean, we, are these tactical? I mean, maybe it's a range. I mean, give me a sense of, uh, you know, what type of books and videos are, are folks engaging in here? It, it, it's it's range, right? Some of them are leadership topics. Some some are in psychology. Some are at the tactical level. Some of the the TED talks are on different topics where it might be like there's case studies that folks read on 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 HR stuff, on process improvement stuff, on operational stuff. And I've tried to build it in to where it's it's it builds some pretty good range on the books. I've tried to build stuff in that really challenges the way people think. Um, and I, I put some stuff that's pretty controversial in there just to like get people thinking, because as a leader, you have to have that range to be able to deal with some weird shit that just comes in onto your plate. Right. Um, so that's, it's, it's, it, there is no one theme to them. Um, that's not it. It's really about like developing kind of a, um, diversity in thought. Um, and, and really, I, I don't want that to be tied in with the, the DEI movement that's out there. That's not what this is. This is diversity of thought and really having an understanding of a lot of different stuff that's going on. Yeah, it's it's supporting the mental dexterity and the bandwidth of, you know, the growth of the way that you're understanding your own psychology, the way that you're growing as, you know, a leader within the own your own function in the organization, understanding further the economics, all of these different aspects. Um, and so that's great stuff. What we're talking about now is is really developing those leaders, right? It's growing their capacity to expand, but bringing those folks in the door, as you were talking about earlier, in terms of hiring based on values. And if there's a competency fit, uh, you know, fit first and then competencies later, we can build on that. And that's kind of what we're talking about. But bringing those folks in the door, I mean, from what I can see, it sounds like really the core value for your organization is really focused around the acronym GRIT. Is that correct? Yep. So growth, respect, integrity, tenacity, and transparency. Um, and that's kind of the, the mnemonic is GRIT because it's kind of just, it, it kind of defines what it means to be a Spartan. Like we will fight on to the Spartan objective, like regardless of what happens, like, right? You got to work all weekend, you work all weekend. You got to not go to bed, don't go to bed. You got to miss dinner. Trust me, you don't need to eat that much. Um, everybody could use like losing some LBs and, and, and really, that's what it's about. It's about kind of freedom and responsibility inside of our values. And we have a creed that kind of defines what it means to be a Spartan. And it's um, we're not we're not tyrannical in kind of in how we work. Um, you know, people have a lot of flexibility. We're even prior to the pandemic, we were in the office for three days and home for two days. That's that was just kind of the ideology that we wanted. We don't have start times and end times. We don't have vacation like people can do what they want. They can kind of come and go as they please. And so we give a lot of freedom and responsibility with that. Um, we have, you know, 25 year olds that are assessing kind of $10,000 contracts that we're signing for data and we're letting them make the decision versus it all coming up to me. 
inside of that freedom and responsibility, very, very Netflix in its ideology. In fact, one of the books we make everybody read is no rules rules. It's the Netflix book. Um, that kind of talks about their culture. We've tried to adapt a lot of the things that they do with that freedom and responsibility comes a lot of the, a, a lot of intolerance for deviations away from our values and our creed. So you just talked about adapting a lot of the culture from Netflix. Um, I'm actually just curious. I mean, you know, because one of my big philosophies, and I think many who, you know, share the the thought process of what we've been talking about today is that success leaves clues. You don't have to recreate, reinvent the wheel. And a lot of what you've been doing is you've been applying stuff that you've learned from the military and all of these other amazing experiences that you've had in your life. What are some other mentors or models? Maybe it's other businesses, maybe other individuals, leaders that you've really modeled yourself after and the company. Dozens. So, so this is, this is, this is, I think there's two kind of ideologies that kind of govern what I do. You lead people, you manage assets, period. Right. Um, So I don't like managing people. If I have to manage someone, I fire them. I don't want to manage you. I want to be able to give you task, purpose, and intent, and you go do what I need you to do. Otherwise, you're not smart enough to work for me. So that's kind of my thing. And I don't, I don't suffer fools, and, I, and I, I'm quick to, to eliminate team members that don't match. But secondly, you know, everybody's mom and their parents tell them you're special. I got news for you. You're not. <laughs> like, you're just not special. Like, there's a couple people that are special, but for the most part, most of us, not special. So don't try to be special. Like, Take what other people have done that's been successful and do that. <laughs> and that's really what I've done and what Ryan has done and what Ben has done. We read, we probably read three, I bet you I would make this statement and I would feel free to defend it against almost anybody out there. I bet you the senior leaders of this company read three to four times more than the average folks, uh, the average leaders of other companies out there. Somebody just asked me, how many books have I read to date? And between hardcover or like like tactical books and or tactile books and audiobooks to date, as of call it June 1st, I will have finished 22 books in 2023. So when you think about that, like I, I'm saying that not as like, oh, look at me, but like as to, hey, the, the material is out there. Everything you need to be successful to drive your business to the next level somebody's written about. Now, if you have some great ideas on how to connect them together, that could be some special sauce. And I think that maybe that's what's here in Spartan is that our culture is this amalgamation of all these different ideas that that, that we've brought together in a way that we've connected them to a set of values and a creed that defines who we are and what it means to be a Spartan in a way that's enabled us to be, it's, it's probably going to be four times on the Inc. 500 um, list at this point because um, we just submitted it and I'm guessing it'll it'll be selected again. Um, I don't know, but it that's four times on the Inc 500. There's other companies that are that are 9x on the Inc, you know 5,000 and everything. They've done they've done a very similar thing out there. So that that's kind of my my little rant on on being special and how to put all this stuff together. I love that. Well, it makes me think of, you know, Warren Buffett. I mean, he, he says that, look, eight hours a day, he's spending reading and learning and investing in his mind and finding new ideas, finding new connections, finding new parallels, um, opening his mind to a new way of doing things and or solidifying or improving, you know, things that he's already doing. So walk me through kind of the day in the life uh, for you as a CEO of Spartan Investment Group. I mean, how much of it is spent on, you know, learning, exploring, 
how much of it is spent on leading and optimizing sort of systems and all the things that we've been talking about? What does it actually look like on a daily basis? And I know every day is different. Yeah, it's interesting. So I, I'm I'm an early to bed, early to rise dude. So I, I go to bed, like I probably in bed at 8.30 and I read for about a half an hour. And generally right before bed, I read just some bullshit fiction book to shut the old brain off. I generally fall asleep at around nine, um, drives my wife nuts. I'm like in, like I close my eyes and I'm out. Um, but then I, I get up at 4.30. So I get up at 4.30, um, basically like for an hour, I read the Wall Street Journal. I read, like kind of set my day up, um, kind of like I really try to digest a bunch of different stuff that's going out there, not only in the news, but kind of in, in what's going on in the world. So um, then I go to the gym um, for an hour and 20 minutes. I do an hour and then I do 20 minutes in a sauna, get ready to go to work. And like my days now, we are at a point where I have a number of senior leaders that now enable me to be much more strategic. We, we just about three months ago, it's actually 90 days, like next week, um, hired a president for our property management company. At one point I was running both. So I was, I was straddling the strategic and, and very much the ta- like the operational and tactical being in the property management business. But now I have a lot more time to pull back and really focus on developing leaders. Um, so I spend you know a decent amount of time in one-on-ones. I spend a decent amount of time just sitting down with all the all layers of the organization to really talking about leadership development and a process improvement all the time. So you know, a day in the life kind of moves all over the place of whether I'm meeting with investors. Um, I do a lot of stuff with YPO that that both myself and Ryan are a part of. Um, I do a lot there to just meet other people, hear other business owners, hear these other ideas um, to really kind of bring them back into the organization. So I, I do do a ton of reading. Um, and yeah, that, that's kind of it. What role does mindset play for you? Because, you know, a lot of times people would ask, you know, or maybe they would not ask that question of someone like yourself who is very focused on tactics and strategies and implementation. And a lot of people think, well, that's the answer, right? But I'd love to know from you, I mean, what role does mindset play in your continued growth, your continued expansion, your continued success? It's, it's everything, right? Like the, like the, like your mind is the foundation of everything that you do. Right. And if you're, and if you have the wrong mindset, then you're never going to hit success. You know, it's funny. A lot of a lot of leader, a lot of a lot of leaders suffer from from ego, and 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 all of us have that, right? But I think if you start to shift your mindset, right? So as a senior leader, my my definition of the pinnacle of success as a senior leader is when everybody around you thinks that everything that they're doing is their ideas, that you're basically irrelevant, right? That's kind of the, 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 the if you can communicate the vision and, and get people to really buy in and own everything that they're doing, especially if they're generating those ideas themselves, that's really powerful. However, a lot of leaders struggle with that because it's no longer the me show, right? Um, so when you think about mindset, from my mindset, I hear people, I will say something in a meeting and a month later, people are like, oh, hey, what about this? Never do I like, hey, I said that a month ago. Why? Because I don't care. My ego is, is in, my ego gets inflated when Spartan as a whole does, does better. I don't care that I have, like, I, that I get credit for it. Guess what? The way that leadership works is if your team does great things, like, 
the outside world and your superiors think that you did it, right? It doesn't matter. You don't get a choice. Even if you walk in there and even if I'm out here on podcasts and just been, there's nothing, I didn't do anything. I just take naps all day. It's all my <laughs> team. Everybody believes, everybody thinks is that's a bunch of bullshit. He's just being blah, 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 right? So you don't really get a choice to not have, um, when, when you're successful, you don't really, as a leader, you don't really get a choice to have credit given to you. Now, you should always give credit to your team, especially where it's due, right? But at the same time, if you think about it from a mindset perspective that that I get I I get mine through the, the the growth of the company, I get mine through the growth of the people inside my company, it's very, very, very easy to not get in that ego trap. Yeah, you have to fight against that because the ego wants everyone to look at me, look at what I've done, look at how smart I am, look at all these things. But you know, that's something you've got to continually fight against. And when you think about <clears throat> just the right and the wrong mindset. You, you mentioned the wrong mindset does not equal success. What else would you say about that beyond the ego side of things? And how would you suggest that you are continually investing in creating the right mindset that is getting you closer to the outcomes that you are focused on? You got it. The biggest thing about the leader developing that mindset is you got to create the mindset for inside the organization. And I think there's a couple of things that you've got to be okay with. You've got to be okay with failure because guess what? You're going to fail and who cares? Learn from it. Try not to make catastrophic mistakes that, that permanently damage the business, but who cares? You're going to make mistakes. You do not get a choice. And I'm not saying who cares to be flippant about it. I'm saying who cares to be like, listen, dude, or do that. You don't get a choice. You are going to jack something up. Know that, put the processes in place to deal with it when it happens and set the environment that it's safe for employees to bring up like issues that they have and that team members can be very vocal and honest about mistakes that they're making so they don't come big, right? And, but just have that mindset that that's going to happen. Somebody just said to me, and this was, this was like a really good way to look at it. So often we really reflect on failure and, um, or no, sorry, we like, we really reflect on success um, and we kind of put failure and we don't, we, we get emotionally tied to failure. You've got that backwards. You should really reflect on failure and be emotionally tied to success. But people, people really ruminate on failure and it, like inside I'm a failure, I blah, blah, blah. Guess what? You're not like, well, some people are, but for the most part, if you're probably listening to this podcast, you're not a failure. You will have failures but that failure is not who you are. It's something that happened. So it's something to like study and reflect on and understand why it happened. The success, be emotional about that. Celebrate with your team, celebrate with your wife, go buy a Ferrari, do whatever the hell it is you want to do. Contribute to your, like to your charity. Like don't, don't hide your feelings from success. And a lot of people do that. Um, and, and don't run from the, and don't, high failures to who you are. That's a key mindset for a leader because man, if, if I was emotionally tied to my failures and that was one thing the army taught me because I was, and the army breaks you of that pretty fast um, because it puts you in situations that you're failing all the time. And if it, you're an emotional mess, you just won't make it. You'll, you'll break in the mind. So you have to disconnect your, your emotions from failure and just know that everybody is failing all the time. Everybody is a dumpster fire in some way, shape or form, all of us. Don't pay attention to social media or none of that crap. That's just people out there like, like putting their best out there. 
they're not putting it out there when they've absolutely jacked something up. Right. So um, that, that, that I think is probably the the key thing for mindset there is just to, to, to really kind of set yourself apart from kind of the masses and, and mindset is everything. Scott, this conversation has been absolutely gold, just packed with value. So I just want to thank you so much for being a part of this discussion. Before I let you go, I want to transition to the rapid fire section of the podcast. It's called the rare air questionnaire. And you know what? It's all about being uncommon because most of what we've talked about, this is not the easy path, right? But it's the path that's worthwhile where you can create something, you know, worth worth doing. You're, you're creating tremendous legacy. So I just want to ask you a few questions before I let you go. Being a big reader that you've described, I'd love to know the past few years, what are two or three of the most impactful books that you've read and why? Principles by Ray Dalio just kind of helps you understand some, some, some certain guidelines for inside the business. Um, no Rules Rules, probably read that like maybe three years ago. Um, so that's really kind of a culture side. Uh, the great game of business to really understand kind of creating the the right metrics and maybe four disciplines of execution. So again, kind of different levels of the business from the strategic to the operational down to the tactical. I love that. Thank you for that. We'll put links in the show notes is where the listeners can find those books. And you definitely want to check those out. Aside from our discussion today, Scott, what's the biggest way that you elevate your life on a daily basis? grow leaders, period, like really help our team achieve their personal and professional goals. There is no greater calling, my take, right? There's no greater calling out there in the world than being a leader that can grow the people around you. Um, and if you focus on growing those people, the the amount of influence you can have throughout the world by building leaders is, is like unlimited. It's always so telling to me when I ask someone like yourself, the biggest way that you're elevating your life and it's about doing something for someone else or so many other people. I just think that's amazing. And there's there's obviously a huge pattern to observe there. But my last question for you before we wrap is, what's the biggest way that you elevate others around you? And it may be a bit paradoxical and compared to how you answered the, the prior question. Believing in them, period. Empower your team, um, set the conditions where they can make mistakes and be okay when they make mistakes and empower them to go out there and learn and grow. I'll give a two second example. We had a construction project where we didn't, it, it was a relatively simple self storage build and we didn't have anybody to cover down on it. And we were, we were wargaming in a meeting and the construction company was like, yeah, we, we're going to have to try to hire as fast as we can. And I said, no, you're not like, we're not going to do that. Cause you're going to make a mistake. I said, take your intern. They're like, what? Take the intern. He's now, he's now a full-time team member, but I'm like, take the intern, put him down there. And they're like, well, what do you, what do you, an intern? Like, is it better than zero? Well, well, yeah, you guys really like this intern. You believe in them, right? Well, well, yeah, put them down there. And I'm like, okay. And it was fantastic. Kid did a great job. Again, he's now a full-time member of the team, but it was just like take like taking somebody that was an intern still in college and say, all right, go manage that multi-million. It wasn't a multi-million. It's like a million and a half dollar expansion for storage. So it was within the realm. And we provided um, scaffolding for him by having a project manager go down there every other week to support them and making sure that the headquarters handled, but we still had somebody on site down there and it was an intern. It, just, it was just a different way of thinking. And it's very much the military, like, Hey, private, everyone else is dead. You're it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Man, that is great stuff. And I just think about, you know, the only way to develop leaders, the only way to grow leaders is is to believe in them and to give them the opportunity to go out there and fail. And, you know, I think that I just, you know, big picture is I, I want to acknowledge you because I can only imagine what it's like to work with you for someone who believes in people so much that you're willing to push them to the ends of the earth so that they can find every sort of piece of talent and grit within them. I just think that, man, you're setting such an amazing example. I just want to acknowledge you for the company that you've built, the impact that you're making for investors in the community with, you know, with everything that you guys are doing. So this has just been a tremendous conversation. I want to thank you again. Are there any parting thoughts or words of wisdom that you'd like to share with Elevate Nation today? I don't think so. I think the kind of the when you, when you talk about kind of building the business, the, the ideology inside of Spartan is one team, one fight. There are, there are no egos. The team put the team in front of individuals and and you know, you'll build a successful culture. Absolutely. And the listeners can learn more about you at Spartan-Investors.com. Where else can they find you? Uh, that's the main place. Outstanding. Well, Scott, until next time, my friend, thank you again for being on Elevate Podcast. I really, really appreciate it. Appreciate it, Tyler. Thank you. Elevate Nation, what a phenomenal discussion with Scott Lewis of Spartan Investment Group. And I don't know about you, but I've got pages and pages of notes of application material for building a sustainable business long term. And you've got to treat this like a business. At the end of the day, if you're treating it like a hobby, if it's a side gig, then that's what it's going to be. And so if you really want to compete with the best of the best, you've got to really listen to this conversation. You've got to really engage in this conversation and ask yourself some powerful questions about what is now possible for me as I consider application. Again, success leaves clues. We're talking about one of the most successful real estate investment companies in the United States and one of the most successful companies, period, one of the fastest growing companies. And so this is one of the main you know, reasons why is the individual that we just spoke to. So I just want to you know, I want to thank you for, first of all, for listening. I want to encourage you to re-listen to this show because again, there's tremendous amount of value in everything that Scott shared with us today. So I want to encourage you to re-listen to the show. I also want to encourage you to have a discussion with other people, whether it's on your team, your leadership team, you know, perhaps other potential partners that you're looking at bringing into your organization have a discussion with them about what was it that you learned from this episode? Is it something to do with implementing some of the thought process behind, you know, an institutional level standards around your operations, your systems, your processes? Is it application of a quarterly process improvement type of endeavor? I mean, there's just so many things that Scott shared with us today. So what was it for you that really stood out? What are your top one, two or three distinctions that you want to make sure that you apply today to ensure that your time invested in engaging in this conversation is a lasting impact in terms of your future. So I want to thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. It's been my pleasure to bring this conversation to you. Until next time, Elevate Nation, I just want to thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoy this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit elevatepod.com.